Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard, and you're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. My guest today is Dennis Perkins. Dennis Perkins is a native of Yazoo City, Mississippi. Upon graduating from Yazoo City High School, he attended Jackson State University, where he received an undergraduate degree in business administration and a master's degree in guidance and counseling. While in the process of obtaining his undergraduate degree, he was a member of the Sonic Boom of the South marching band. Upon marrying Deborah N. Perkins, his wife of 28 years, they served the body of Christ faithfully in various capacities. He is currently a member and elder at Freedom Ministries International Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Welcome to the podcast, Dennis. Kimberly, I am so glad to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, yes, so excited. So um, I know you have quite a journey to share. So why don't you share with us a little bit more about you and how you started out and how you got to be doing what you're doing now. Okay. Well, you know, first of all, I never leave out the fact that I'm from Yazoo City, Mississippi, as you have already told the audience. Um, I'm um, number six of eight children, you know, eight in my family. I uh, had one, one, uh, um, one girl that was stillborn. Uh, she would have been the baby. So, uh, you know, it would have been nine. Uh, so just being raised there, I had a, had a mother and a father in the home and a grandmother. And so um, that, that little bit, that, that was a pretty interesting uh, family. Uh, my grandma brought a lot of, I, I, I say, uh, she disciplined us. But I can say that she brought a lot of different dynamics to the family. She was a very interesting, (laughs) very interesting person. Uh, But I loved her very much. Yes. Um, But coming up in Yazoo City, there was was a very small community. Uh, The community I grew up in, uh, we didn't have a whole lot. You know, at that time, I didn't realize what we didn't have. You know, we were happy with what we had. And we lived in a very small house. So I don't think we even had a good three real bedrooms in that house, but it was just so crowded. And I was the kind of guy that was very, very quiet. Uh, All of my siblings just talked all the time. (laughs) It seems like everybody was talking all the time. And I was always the listener in the the house. just very quiet and mostly to myself. I tried anyway, it was very hard to be to yourself in a big family. But I grew up that way, uh, just quiet, very timid, very timid uh, child. So my mom didn't send us to kindergarten like, um, like most kids were able to go to kindergarten. So she taught us what she could teach us at home. And so whenever we went to school, it was right to the first grade. And so socially speaking, that was a pretty tough transition to make for me, especially a guy like me, because I wasn't that highly socialized. I mean, I was just used to my family, felt comfortable around certain people. And then boom, here I am in a classroom of 30 kids Mm -hmm. and with a teacher that I didn't know anything about. And so it was just a very, very tough transition for me, but we got through it. I was always in the background, always quiet. And that's the way I grew up. So nobody really got a chance to know me, how I thought, what, you know, what my motivations were. Um, and I, you know, I was that way basically all the way up until, you know, I used to, at home, I, I was who I was. <laughs> but uh, I love beating on things. I just boop, 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 beat on everything. Uh, love singing. My dad always sang. And we had a kind of musical household as far as singing and music. Um, you know, back in the day when I was coming up, uh, we'd watch TV. And back in my day, you know, back in the 60s, growing up in the 60s, we used to watch shows like American Bandstand. Um, you you name, name those shows, Lawrence Welk even. And, and any show that had dancing on it, you know, we and the, the boys in the family would dance with the girls. You know, there were three girls and three girls in, in the family and and five boys. And so we would, you know, my oldest sister would say, come on, dance with me, Dennis. And we danced and they'd teach us how to dance, waltz and you know, all of that. 
And so we grew up a close family and that was my socialization basically. So outside of that, you know, I had to grow and learn. Musically speaking, my mom noticed that I had some desire to play a, mus a musical instrument. And drums happened to be my choice. You know, the loudest instrument you could play <laughs> happened to be my choice. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I, you know, I told mom, you know, mom, I want to play drums. And she saw me one day and I was just sitting and I could hear the drums, the cadences, that they're just playing in the background because it was football season and the bands was out practicing. And I just, you know, she said, I just stopped what I was doing and I was just like caught up in it. And she said, I saw you trembling. I said, trembling? I wasn't trembling. She said, yes, you were. Mm -hmm. And I may have just been moving to the music. I don't know what I was doing. And she really, really wanted to get me in the band. So um, my dad, at that time, he, he didn't. He said, no, you know, you're too young and, you know, you, you're not ready. And so I couldn't just jump into the band when I wanted to. But what happened was one day... My brother and I, Sam, Sam, Sam is a, uh, he went to, uh, he went with me to Jackson State, at least a year after I did. He got his doctorate degree in, in, in business, actually in education. And he's um, uh, in the school of business. He was there for about 30 some years, just recently, recently retired. But we were beating on these boxes, you know, just beating on the boxes. <laughs> and, um, and then we didn't have anything but little, you know, sticks that we got in the yard, break some sticks and just started beating. And just so happened, we saw the high school band director, right? Across the street. And he was doing, minding his own business, doing something else. And we said to ourselves, hey, let's play, let's play louder so he can hear us. <laughs> <laughs> so we just, we started just drumming, drumming, drumming. And it actually got his attention. And he came over to the house. He crossed the street, came over. And, and he said, keep going, keep going. <laughs> <So> <laughs> we kept going. And, and so he told us, he said, look, why don't you come? And we were only, Sam may have been in the fifth, uh, fourth grade and I was in the fifth grade. And he said, why don't you come up to the band room Monday? Mm -hmm. And we said, okay. So we told mom, we were so excited. She said, sure, you can go. And we went over to the band room and we, he handed us some drumsticks. We had never even held drumsticks before. <laughs> and he said, do what you were doing at your house. And we started just playing, you know, on the, on the snare drum. And everybody was, what? <laughs> you know, we were so young and had, hadn't had a, um, one music lesson in our lives. But we didn't know anything about reading music or anything. And so he told us, you know, um, you know, I would like for you guys to be in the band and, you know, why don't you come and, and start practicing, you know? And so we started taking music lessons mm -hmm. on a regular basis. You know, the reason I mentioned that is because that was the first time in my life that I felt something different. Mm -hmm. I felt like, hmm, I can do something. Mm -hmm. I felt so insignificant before that time. I mean, I really did. Um, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know how to express myself. And there were two ways that I could express myself. One was me playing music. Two was writing. I liked writing. And so, but, I, you know, writing wasn't a big deal to me. And I didn't just sit and just write, um, you know, uh, stories and all that. But I think my teacher saw that I had some ability to write. So I, I like English. I like I like things like that. So those were two things that I knew I could do a little bit, you know, write and play drums. So it just kind of grew from there. And my interest level kind of got away from school. I was I was pretty good in school, but it kind of drifted, you know. Uh, and I got more interested in the social activities and being popular and all that kind of thing. So I kind of lost myself for some years. <laughs> and, and so, um, you know, when I got to Jackson State, it was still a challenge, uh, but I enjoyed it. It was just so much fun. And I, I think I, I lost my whole freshman year just, just having a good time mm -hmm. and um, just enjoying college life, being away from home. 
And by the time I realized I was actually at school to get an education, I was a sophomore. <laughs> and and we <laughs> and 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 then I started getting more more and more grounded educationally, academically, and doing uh, my work like I should have done it. But overall, my life has just been, I mean, my, my parents raised me right. I mean, they, they did everything they knew to do. They had me in church. Uh, they taught me the right things. They wanted me to, to be responsible, not to be out trying to hang out with the honey bunnies and do all these kinds of things, stay out all night drinking, even though I did get into trouble doing stuff because I was a regular boy. But when I got into college and the years after, my life started to change. I, I had a, a couple of um, situations in college where, and one particular thing, I, I, I got pretty sick um, my sophomore year. And it, it kind of laid me on my back for a little bit. And my parents had to come and get me from school. Thank God it was uh, around uh, Christmas time. So I didn't really miss a lot of school, but that brought me to my senses. I started to change. I started to want, let me, I wanna read the Bible. I wanna do other things. And I started getting pulled away from the crowd and everybody said, what's wrong with you? I mean, why are you, what, what's your problem? I said, I don't have a problem, but nobody, nobody knew that I was going through a change and they, they didn't want me to change. I mean, my brother was fine with, it. he knew what's going on, but some of my friends didn't. And so I gradually started making changes and adjustments in my life. And God was becoming more of a center for me, but I still wasn't willing to make the full you know, just that that full change and and submission. I, I I didn't I didn't want to make that change. Wasn't ready until I met my wife, um, and I was a, a young man still, uh, in my twenties when I first met her. She was a student still, about to graduate from Jackson State. Actually, my brother was the one that that uh, arranged us to me. And he, um, he happened to be her instructor. He was a student teacher at Jackson State. And he's working on his uh, master's degree. And, uh, and, and so he introduced us. And from there, I mean, just, we just kept seeing each other, talking to each other over the years. We became friends first. And then, you know, I got to know her to the point where she, I knew she was changing. I said, what, what's this different thing going on in your life? And she said, well, Dennis, I'm, I'm, I'm born again and I'm filled with the spirit. I said, what, what is that? And so uh, she said, dude, would you like to go to church with me? I said, sure. I went to church with her and I liked it. You know, it was really good teaching and everything. I said, wow, you know, I hadn't heard the Bible taught that way before, you know, but it's great. I mean, I'm looking at it. I grew up in the church, so I knew the things that, you know, that, that the minister was talking about, but he brought such enlightenment to what was being taught. And so from there, I, I, I said, well, I want to go back but I still have got my beer in the refrigerator. I still like my wine. I like to do all these other things. And my interest just wasn't there at the time. And one night um, I called her after some things had gone on with me. Uh, and I'm just trying to cut it sh as short as I can. Um, and I went to church with her that night. And I don't know how your audience feels about this or thinks about this. But I went not expecting anything but just to go to church, come back home, open my can of Budweiser beer, sit, at the, sit down in my couch and drink that beer and maybe watch some TV and go to bed. That was on a Wednesday night. So I had no idea that I would come back totally different. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was, it was due to, uh, to Deborah. Um, it, it seemed like a setup, really. We sat with this evangelist and she asked me, she said, 
oh, you're Dennis. I said, yes, I'm Dennis. And we sat there and listened to the message, and that was so good. She said, did you enjoy it? I said, oh, yes, I enjoyed it. And she said, well, well, look, are, are you saved and filled with the Holy Spirit? And I said, um, yes, I guess so. <laughs> and, and, and she asked me again, and she said, would you like to be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit? And I said, I guess so. <laughs> Didn't know what I was. Anyway, she called the pastor over. And the pastor met me, shook my hand and everything. And he said, go and um, have these people pray for you over there. And it was this little um, fireball, um, little ministry. She's an evangelist, you know, little lady and her husband. And they, they prayed the sinner's prayer with me. And, and she said, now be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and you know how people, you lay hands on you and she, she, it's like she did this. And I felt myself falling and I fell in this chair and I said, this lady, this lady's pushing me. What is she pushing me for? Mm-hmm. And I fell into I the chair. I to know why she's <laughs> pushing me too. <laughs> anyway, it was such, it, it, was, it was just, I mean, after that, this is just amazing because out of my mouth, out of from my belly to my mouth, I started speaking in a totally different language I'd never heard before. I couldn't control it. And I tried, but it didn't work. I said, stop it, stop. And and I couldn't, I couldn't make it stop. And and the the whole time that I was going through this, I was crying. And then I started to laugh. And then I cried some more. I said, you guys, are are you trying to kill me? What are you doing to me? And I said, (laughs) and and I didn't know what was going on. But anyway, all the way, you know, Deborah, I couldn't drive. She had to drive me home and everything. And the whole night, I just kept speaking in this language. My life from that point on, it's totally different. My thinking was different. I mean, everything about me was different. I mean, yeah, sure. I still had shortcomings and all that. But my perspective on how real God is changed. Mm-hmm. I, I knew about God. I realized who God was, but I didn't really know him. And I got to the place where I started to know him and I started to speak to him. I started to talk to him like a real person. And he became so real to me. And that's the biggest pivot probably that I've ever had in my life. It was that. Deborah and I went on to get married in 1990. You know, that was back in 1987, but we got married in 1990. And of course, that was major for me because I'd never been married. She'd never been married. And I'm talking about, like, I was 35. I mean, I was, I have, to me, old, you know, to be just getting married. <laughs> and she was younger than me, of course. But uh, from that time on, it was just, you know, just one experience after another, uh, just living life, learning, growing. And just just knowing more about who I was in Christ and knowing how my heart had changed towards trying to help others become more like Jesus Christ. And that's that's all I wanted to do. That's been my life. I mean, regardless of my professional life, I worked as a, a youth counselor for years, you know, in the youth court system. Mm-hmm. where you had all the juvenile delinquent kids. These were some rough kids. And they would send me to the roughest places and say, you have to go to this kid's house. And I didn't, you know, it didn't faze me. I mean, because I grew up tough. I mean, you know, Yazoo said it was a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I had relatives in Chicago. Uh, used to have to walk the streets of the South Side. Um, <laughs> harassed by gangsters and everything else. <laughs> so, I mean, I felt, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't intimidated by it. We just wanted to try and make an impact on families. Mm-hmm. And so um, um, after a while in doing that, I did that for some years. And then I got to uh, this job. I held a position uh, at mm, Catholic Charities for a little while. 
work with uh, Vietnamese refugee minors. That was interesting. After that, doing that about two, three, four years, um, I started feeling that need to just, hmm, something's going on with me. I feel like I'm supposed to be in ministry. I feel like I'm sh I should be in ministry, maybe full time. And about that time, my pastor approached me and asked me, would I be interested in serving in the church? And Deborah and I, uh, he said, well, I want not just you, I want your wife as well to serve. We want couples to, to come on board. And so we say, yeah, we'll do it. Mm -hmm. We did. Deborah didn't really want to. She worked with the. She worked for the federal government. She really didn't want to do it, but she said, "Okay, you know." She made the sacrifice, and felt like you know that's something that you know you want to do, Dennis. I want to be with you, so let's let's do it. And we did. So, just from there, we it was an adventure. You know, we worked in any capacity you could think of. I mean, any capacity. Mm -hmm. So we learned from that experience. It wasn't always good, didn't end well, uh, because, you know, in a lot of situations, we find in churches in particular, you have situations where people don't know how, oh, uh, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's hard for me to say this and, and to, to say it in a, in a good way. But there are times when relationships are based on, okay, I'm the pastor and you're under me. So if I tell you something, I don't have to have feelings about this. I could just tell you, well, you're no longer needed. <laughs> that's, and that's about it. <laughs> well, we got to that point. Mm -hmm. And what we looked at, we said, huh. you know, we felt like, God was saying, okay, there's something else for you. So we didn't hold any grudges or anything like that. We knew we couldn't. We couldn't afford to do that. That brings too much condemnation. That just brings too much on you. I mean, you, you can't go forward when you're looking back and when you're going through life with hurts and pains, and you're just carrying all that baggage around with you. So we didn't do that. We prayed about it. We said we forgive any, anything. And even if they weren't trying to hurt us, you know, we forgive them. We moved on because we were hurt, hurt by it. Anyway, we went on and she went right back to the federal government again, eventually. I think maybe about two years, she just stayed at home. In about three months, I had a job working with the state of Mississippi, which I had worked in government, you know, county and doing different things in government. So I was, I had a good friend and he, he said, hey, I got a position for you. You know, uh, it may take a little while, but... I waited three months and went right into that position, working with youth, children and youth again, mm -hmm. which I love. So I stayed in that field for, goodness, about 17 years and enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, up until the time, <clears throat> my wife, you know, she went back to the federal government. She worked for the Marshal Service for about 12 plus years. Um, that was prior to her working at GSA for a number of years. And so she was about to get her retirement. She started to get, get ill. <clears throat> My wife had sickle cell anemia. She had sickle cell for her whole life, of course. And she got ill mm, back in 2012. Before that time, she'd have little, you know, pains in the joints and that kind of thing, but she normally would be able to shake that off. And sometimes she would say, Dennis, can you just, you know, uh, read the word to me, read the Bible to me, go over to the gospels, read, you know, just, and I would just read the gospel to her and say, oh, I feel better. And the pain would just go mm -hmm. and she'd rest. But this time it wasn't, it was much more complicated. And I won't go into all the details. I've got everything chronicled in the book, Everlasting Love. That's the first book that I wrote mm -hmm. and uh, didn't think I was going to write a book, but we got that one written. But anyway, uh, she progressively got worse and uh, she had to be hospitalized. And man, it was from 2012 all the way up until 2018, you know, and then she passed in 2018 and passed. When she left, she left with a smile on her face. I could, I, I saw the smile. I said, oh my Lord. You know, I couldn't grieve like that. I mean, it's almost like the Lord was saying, uh-uh. 
you can't breathe. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, you, no, nope, you can't do that. And, and he let me see that smile on her face. Mm-hmm. And I knew she was fine. And I said, well, you know, because she had told me, I want to go home. I want to go, go be with God. She had told me that. And I said, well, I can't keep you here. <laughs> you tell me before. I mean, I can't keep you here. And I won't try to. Mm-hmm. But I want you to live your life regardless of how you feel you're doing. I mean, hey, if you can wake up, start saying thank you, Lord, for another day. Mm-hmm. And raise your hands and thank him. And we, we would encourage each other. She would, she would encourage me too in different ways. But she couldn't talk. But I could just tell her, you know, and she'd wake up some mornings and say, thank you, Lord. And you could just hear her saying it. Thank you, Lord. And uh, it's a good day. And so, I mean, she taught me a lot. I, I had to learn from my wife. I mean, it was such a big transition. I mean, to see her so lively. I mean, you would love her. You would love her, Kimberly. I, I mean, I could just see her talking to you. If we were sitting here, she'd be doing all the talking and I would just be sitting here <laughs> listening. <laughs> but anyway, she's that kind of person. So one day um, uh, after she, she went on to heaven and I know that's where she is. Because um, she loved the Lord so much. She just loved people. And I don't care who you were. I mean, she got along with everybody, everybody. She didn't, she didn't know anybody that was considered white, black. It didn't matter. It just didn't matter. And so that helped me to cross some bridges also. Mm-hmm. And I started to love, I mean, I saw, how you, how you hugging on that person? Who are you hugging at? You know, and... and <laughs> And, and and really, she was just, she helped me. She was just doing it out of her heart. And it, it, it tugged on my heart. And God was trying to show me something that you, you have to walk in that same kind of love. You can't see people for their outer covering, their exterior. You have to, you have to see people for who they are. And so it's a hard issue. It's always a hard issue with God. And that's the way he sees us. You know, he, he knew David by the heart, you know, mm-hmm. and he, uh, he, he knows you by, by your heart. He knows me by my heart. And that's the way he wants us to know him. He wants us to know his heart. And so that's what I was becoming more and more familiar with is the heart of God. And I'm not there. I'm not perfect in this thing. Uh, you know, if, if somebody came and stepped on my toe, I can't tell you that I would laugh about it and say, oh, that's fine. <laughs> I, can, I wouldn't be able to say that, Kimberly, but, but I can tell you that I have a, a different, a totally different demeanor than what I used to have. And, uh, and so that's kind of where my changes, my pivoting took place. And I pivoted again. You know, when my wife left, I said, now what? Now what? Because there were certain prophetic words that had come to us. You'd be doing this together. You'd be doing that. I'm saying, what happened? You know, and um, but I found out that a lot of things, I remember she got a prophetic word once that she would write, write, write. Well, look who's writing. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I'm saying... Well, you know, I guess that was part of the vision for my life as well, mm-hmm. because um, she told me, my wife, Deborah, told me, Dennis, you have a gift to write and you, you have books in you. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I mean, yeah, I can write, but I don't know about books. She said, you have books in you. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, look, I, I can't do I've never written a book. I said, you're going to have to help me. She said, well, I can't write like you can, but I'll be glad to help you. I said, okay. So we started out trying to write a book after we left the church, right? And um, it it went okay, but not so well, you know. We stopped and we got so busy with uh, with life and we just left it. So when she left, I was on the phone with my pastor, praying with my pastor, just about things, you know, not, oh, I have all these problems. My God, really, 
Kimberly, you would have probably wondered if something was wrong with me on the day my wife uh, was at her funeral service, her homegoing service. I, I was so happy. I was uh, telling people, uh-uh, you're not going to be, no, no crying. No, nope, we, we won't have it. Because she's with the Lord. You know, we need to celebrate that because I know where she is. And um, to be honest with you, some of the things that I'm experiencing now with the writing is so, is so different. Because when I used to write, I used to have to say, okay, I would get a scripture and I said, okay, I'll start writing about that. It was more me. But now when I write, I can hear scriptures. I can hear things so clear, just vivid. It's like I'm getting assistance in my writing. Mm -hmm. And so I know it's not just me writing. And so that's the difference. And it's, it's writing with an anointing. It's writing with, you know, uh, the heart of God. It's not me. And it's not something I can say, oh, let's look, look at the books I've written here. It's not me. I may not perfect, I may not do a perfect job of communicating the message, but I do my very best. And I said, well, you know, I'll send it to the publisher and we'll see if the publisher will, you know, can help me with some editing. And they do. Mm -hmm. uh, and you still see errors. Mm -hmm. you've, you've written books, right? You've yeah. written many books. And you always still see errors, don't you? I mean, still errors. Mm -hmm. still errors. And so that's basically, um, I, I mean, I, I could go on, I could go on and on, but I know, I believe that my wife, her influence on my life is still there. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's almost as if I'm still in ministry with her. And I, that's, that's true. I mean, I, I, I still feel myself being in ministry with her um, and finishing out what we were supposed to do together. And I don't know if another woman will come along. <laughs> I don't, I'm not out looking for a wife. Um, I'm 67 years old. So I mean, 66, I'll be 67 later on this year. And um, so I'm not absolutely looking for a wife, but I want to accomplish everything that God has for me. I want to finish my course and I want to finish it well. And so that's all my, that's, that's really, and that gives me so much joy because I can do it and I have my health and strength, sound mind and let's go. I mean, I mean, I have a pocket full of money, but I'm saying, Hey, Hey, God woke me up this morning. There is something that he has for me to do and whatever it is, I'm going to accomplish that thing. If I don't get it all done today, I'll just do what I can do within this 24 hour period or 16 hours or whatever. And then we'll start on it the next day that he gives me. And so that's the way I look at every day. And it's like almost every hour. And so it's like, I do have a plan, but not really. It's God's plan. Mm -hmm. And so it's like his assignment. And that's the way I look at my life. My life is an assignment. Uh, my writing is a seed. And that's what I'm, I'm doing. I mean, I didn't look at my bank account. I looked at it and I said, nothing's there. And, but I'm gifted to write. Let's see. Uh, my pastor was the one that told me. Dennis, she gave me confirmation. You're supposed to write a book. I said, okay. Same week. Young lady, I think I told you about this, Kimberly. A young lady comes up the next few days and said, Brother Dennis, I believe you're supposed to write a book. <laughs> yes. So my wife, my pastor, and this young lady, three. Mm -hmm. I said, I, what, I, what more confirmation do I need? So that's where everlasting love came from. I just sat down, didn't know what the book was going to be named. I sat down and a title came, Everlasting Love. Boom. I wrote it, kept writing. Got four pages. I said, wow, four pages. <laughs> <laughs> and as I was writing, the, 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 the Holy Spirit gives me scriptures, you know, as I'm going to help me express what God wants me to, to insert in there. And so that's basically the way all of my books are. They're full of scripture. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling a little bit about my, my story, experiences, keeping it real. So people, you know, it's, it's relatable. You know, every book that I write is relatable. People can get into it and say, oh, yeah, he messed up there, didn't he? <laughs> and, you know, and go through it. And, and um, 
you know, I'm enjoying it. I'm just having a good time. And, um, you know, I may not make a million dollars off of it, but I feel like I'm fulfilled because I'm doing what God wants me to do. Mm-hmm. So that's where I get my fulfillment from. Well, beautiful. Thank you so much. So you started out with, um, what do you call it? Eternal, everlasting love. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then what other books have you written? Uh, the one, the next book was, but the greatest of these is love. Mm-hmm. Had a little bit of a different emphasis, but it still had, you know, it's like almost like a continuation in a way but it had a different emphasis because it was focusing on the love of God, mm-hmm. which both books do. Uh, because, you know, God was just, he's wanting people to know what he's like, you know, how he feels about them, how they should feel about themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we can't, we can't readily love another person unless we love ourselves first. We have to know where love comes from. And, you know, God is love. And I used to see that in my mom and dad's house uh, on the wall. God is love. Hmm. I can never figure out God is love. <laughs> what, what is love? I didn't see. I was looking around and said, okay, is, is that the kind of love they, when I got that whooping the other day? <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> you know. I didn't know. So, you know, I grew up not knowing what kind of love God had. And I was thinking it was more like a human being's love that's expressed in the earth and found out it's much greater. It's, it's inconceivable almost, you know, how much he loves us. And so when you get a little bit of a glimpse of how much and a little bit of revelation as to how much he loves us, it can change your whole life because you know then how valuable you are. And that's what I think a lot of people are missing today. They don't realize how valuable they are to God and how valuable they are. They, you know, they should understand that and know I'm valuable. I don't have to sell myself short. I don't have to just do something because I need love. I need attention. I don't have to settle. Yeah. So I'm thinking back to how you started out, you know, working with these children going into their homes (laughs) and, you know, relating it to what you just said. Yeah. where I'm sure a lot of them uh, were in tough situations where yes. maybe they didn't feel valuable. And right. when you were working with them, how did you work with them? What did you say to them? Oh, man. Help them. You know, there's so many different things because I, you know, I would work with the, the girls and the guys. So I will say this, Kimberly, not, not to, to slight the, the girls, but it was so much harder working with the girls than it was with the boys. They had so much more going on with them. And in most cases, they didn't have fathers in the home, none of them, you know, and if they did have fathers then there was not agreement between the mother and the father. So they didn't have a good picture of what a good relationship was. They either saw abuse, neglect, um, just, you know, infidelity, you know, uh, drug addiction, you know, just something, you know, just so much uh, instability in the family. That's all they were exposed to. Mm -hmm. So whenever I went into the home, I always felt like it was better not just to talk to the child, but to also talk to the parents, get them involved in knowing exactly what they are mirroring to that child, Mm -hmm. what they're showing that child. When that child looks in and it, it looks at them, what is that child seeing? And, and, and what it is that they are, <laughs> whatever message the parents are giving to the child is the way the child is going to see themselves. That's the mirror they're going to be holding up and looking at. It's, it's that definition that the parent is and the identity the parent's giving to them. And that may not be a good one. And in most cases, it wasn't. So, um, you know, even, even though uh, we, we did that, and a lot of times we'd find out who was creating most of the problems. And a lot of times it was the parent. The parents would be in the way of the family going forward. One of the parents or sometimes even both of them. And they would sabotage their own success all the time. You've seen it. You know it. 
So uh, that's what we run into. But I would always tell them, I would always look at them and talk to them and get to know the child. And then I could start seeing things about them, you know, just seeing special things about them. Those are the things that I would start telling them. Say, hey, wait a minute, you're a conscientious person. You, hey man, you got a lot going on here. I mean, good things. You know, you, you, you get up, you go, you got a part-time job or, you know, and I'm telling him how all of the good qualities that I'm seeing, I'm not just trying to puff them up. I see good qualities. When I go in there, I want to see the positive qualities about each child. And so that's what I want to tell them. I want to let them know. I want to set a mirror in front of them and say, this is who you are here. These positive characteristics here. How can we help you even do, do better? Let's, let's, come on, let's work together. And, and what, what do you want to do? Well, I want to do this. Let's try and get you there. Let's try and help you there. And if we need to talk to the parents and say, he wants to do this or she wants to do that, can you help her? And, uh, you know, we, we just do things like that to try and enhance those, uh, those things that we saw, those positive elements that we saw operating in that child's life that, Everybody else seemed to ignore in the family. Yeah. Beautiful. And then <clears throat> since you do did see so much dysfunction and, and you had a, a, a marriage until death do us part. Yeah. So when you're working with the parents, um, I guess the question I want to ask is, what is real love in a marriage? How do you oh. actually make a marriage... Sorry. How do you make it? How work? do you make a marriage work? Oh man, that's not easy. Because um, you know, I'm say after the first six months of being married, I wanted to get a divorce. <laughs> we we never we never we never really said. We said we. My wife said we are not going to even say the word divorce in this house, mm-hmm. even though we went through some time because she was so set in her ways, being that she was in her early thirties and I was in my middle thirties that's not easy Mm-mm. and then we had uh, you know uh some financial issues you know but they they got worked out and and so over time we worked together we knew we were going to have to work together we were determined that we were gonna we loved each other we knew that but we knew that there were other things that we needed to work on but whatever we did we had to trust each other and work on those things together mm-hmm. And as we worked on them together, we felt uh, just a teamwork principle just rising up in us. And we worked together. We had each other's back. We could trust each other. And so that's the main thing. You, you get to a place where you, you begin to trust one another and you see that that person is not going to stab me in the back. And, you know, they really, really care about me, my best interest. And so we saw that about each other. We had a mutual understanding that we could trust each other and basically that's where we just grew as partners we grew together you know and we we just grew in our love for each other Mm -hmm. our trust for each other so I think the key is just staying in there enduring because you're going to have tough times to try and separate you make you you know we get mad we, we have little, you know, disagreements. I'm not going to say arguments. We didn't have to be down loud. Ah, you know, we didn't scream at each other and all that. But we'd have disagreements. We'd have our little quiet times. We'd say, I don't want to talk to me. You know, I don't want to talk to you. Uh, we had those times, but we worked through them because we knew eventually we couldn't let the sun go down on our wrath. We knew that mm-hmm. because when you do it, something happens when you do that, consistently do that. It's almost like you go to bed with, and you planted bad seeds inside of yourself, inside of your, your emotional makeup, and you go to bed on that, and you wake up, guess what? That seed's beginning to sprout. Mm-hmm. And then you keep doing that, and the seed's getting bigger and bigger, and you got, then you got a big problem, a big weed problem, a big, a big problem, mm-hmm. not growing anything good. So you have to quench that as it you know you're gonna have to deal with it and so that's what we we understood that we couldn't uh, allow that to get in and continue we had to always have that unity 
because if you don't, you know, the enemy will send somebody else along or something along. It's going to cause greater separation. That's so true. You know, one of the things I learned uh, from my grandmother and she just passed about a year ago, 95 mm -hmm. years old. Oh, wow. She said, you <laughs> never can go to bed mad or angry. Yes, if you're true. angry, neither party can go to sleep until <laughs> you That's work good. it out. That's good. Yeah, that's right. Same principle. And that's true because, you know, if we go to bed on that, it's going to fester and grow. Things really grow, you know, at nighttime when you can't really see it. You have photogenesis, what is it? Photogenesis? Photosynthesis. Photosynthesis. I think about a camera. Photosynthesis. Anyway, it works when there is no sunshine. You know, it works at night, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So the plant really grows overnight. And I will come in and see a plant, we plant something, and you look at it during the day, no movement. Next day, you see a little sprout coming up. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the spiritual principle. So we have to take care of things, you know. And so that, I would say that would be the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing. Just uh, keep strife out of your life, out of your relationships as well, mm -hmm. because sometimes you can have a bad relationship at work and you bring that home. Mm -hmm. Oh my. And when you bring that home, you begin to spread that poison into your house and you're not, you know, you have to deal with this stuff. You can't just drag it around with, you have to deal with it. And, um, you know, if you can handle it at work, handle it at, at work. Mm -hmm. If you can't leave it at the door, Mm -hmm. Learn to leave work at work. Learn to leave bad relationships where they are until you can do some work on them and then you come home. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's... That's wonderful advice. Yeah. Really wonderful I mean, advice. It doesn't work that way all the time. You know, we have challenges. We can try and help our spouses with that kind of thing and just help them to manage, you know, how to take better care of themselves. And I think I learned that the hard way because I would try to work with my wife. She had a lot of stress on her job, a lot of stress, which I think contributed a lot to her being ill. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people don't realize how when you when things like that just fester on a job, you just bring it. You know, you have a beautiful marriage, a beautiful family, mm -hmm. and you can bring that stuff home and keep it bottled up and you never deal with it. You still you have problems. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I totally agree that so much of our, you know, physical ailments come from stress from outside. Yes. yes. Okay. What do you think about the environment that we're in today? I mean, it's like, wow, it's so stressful it for so many stressful. people. It is yeah. stressful. And there's mm -hmm. so much change and chaos. And, you know, there's always chaos before order. That's mm -hmm. how things That's change. True. I understand That's true. that. It's true. But sometimes when the chaos or the change is too great, too mm -hmm. fast, it's very mm -hmm. difficult true. for people to adapt to it. True, true. And, you know, I, I, I feel that there are times when, you know, we have we have a common enemy. We do have a common enemy and he knows that. And so what he wants to happen is he wants people to break and these things come like one after another, after another, after another. Mm -hmm. And you keep having to deal with this. And you say, wow, I mean, I don't know what to do. So you, you really have to have a sense of stability. I mean, that's, that's embedded in you yeah. to know, you know, hey, wait, wait, wait. This thing out here is crazy. That's, it inspired me to write a book of, and the latest one that I'm writing is Living Upright mm -hmm. in an Upside Down World. I think I told you about that. Perfect. I just, right now. Perfect. Yeah. I, yeah. I just finished it. Uh, and it's, it's with the publisher now. So they're doing all the review, edit. Mm -hmm. They're doing all that now. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah. So if people wanted to get uh, connect in connection with you or mm -hmm. they wanted to um, see your books or read your books how would they do that well you know you can always uh find me on now i will say linkedin but i because i am on linkedin mm -hmm. uh but 
it's link tree, link tree, and it's going to be D Perkins 0715. So that's link tree. And then it has links to all of social media, everything that I'm uh, that I'm on. Uh, I have a um, my email address is dperkins2415 at comcast.net. Um, I also have a website, the dpventures.com. That's T-H-E-D-P-Ventures.com. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Um, so I'm pretty simple right now, Kimberly. I mean, I'm just uh, just uh, learning how to do this. It's, it's, it's new to me, but uh, we're, we're going forward with it. We want to make an impact. Man, I can't believe we've almost talked an hour. I know. It's, it's been awesome. So thank well, you so much. I've been doing all the talk. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay because great. you have so much, you know, knowledge and wisdom to share. So thank you oh, so much. Man. Yeah. I appreciate you. I appreciate you so much. Um, now, um, is there anything, anything else? I mean, are we about to finish? Yes. Or? I have one more question for oh. you. Last question. Okay. What is your best advice on living an incredible, amazing life? Oh, man. My advice would be this, and I don't know what your um, belief system might be, and I'm not talking directly to you, but whatever your belief system is, make sure that it's centered on somebody that's greater than you. Um, Because we all were created in the image of God. We all were created in the image of God. That means you got something that's connected to God living on the inside of you. So any greatness that God has, that's in you. Any goodness that God has, that's in you. Now we can resist that and say, well, I'm gonna just live the opposite. Well, that's that's your choice. God gives everybody a choice. And he also gives everybody chances. So you're never too late in, in in, in, in the scheme of things with God. You're never too late. You don't get to age 50 and say, I've never accomplished anything in my life. My life is over. No, it's not. You're still breathing. Mm -hmm. If you're able to walk, talk and do the things that you're doing, you still have time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm saying this. Me personally, when I made Jesus the Lord of my life and made him center, not just to say it and say it in word, but to live it in deed. My life changed. And so it's all about the heart. Always guard your heart. Always make sure the things that are going into your heart are the right things. Mm -hmm. If you have to push away from television, if you have to push away from bad news, push away from it and start to get the right things into your heart and into your thinking. And it's gonna influence where you go. It's gonna influence your life for good. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Oh, Kimberly, it's so good spending time with you. I want to do that. I want to do this again with you. I feel like we great. Don't. I want to know more about you too, Kimberly, because I, I know you've got a lot, a lot going on uh, and you're helping so many people and I appreciate you helping me. Thank you. Well, thank you. And we will talk to you again soon. God bless you.